Good evening. How wonderful, how encouraging, how strengthening it is when God's people can come together like this from various places and blend their voices in song and open their Bibles together and study from God's Word and pray together and be encouraged and strengthened through love of the truth and a desire to please God. Thank you so very much for being here tonight. It is an encouragement to the brethren here at Platte City, and it is a great personal encouragement to me. In fact, I couldn't help but think about what Luke describes as Paul is making his way to Rome and the brethren found out that he was coming that way and some came out to meet him. It's a very simple statement in verse 15 of Acts 28. By the way, this is not a part of the lesson. This is just me. And from thence when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appy Forum and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. Tonight, I thank God. And tonight, I take courage. There was a time in my life recently, in the last number of years, when I was not certain that I would ever have this opportunity again. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I waited, and I prayed. And many more prayed. And God in his mercy has restored me to a point where I'm able to do this this week. And I thank my God for answering prayer. Don't, don't anyone ever tell me there's not power in prayer. If you wonder if there is, tell them you know somebody's living proof. There's power in prayer. Tonight, we're going to talk about some things that I are very near and dear to me. In fact, when Larry and I talked about the lessons and what the needs were and what we would consider, what I would consider to preach, this was the first lesson that came to my mind. And I will tell you why before we even engage, but secondly, you will see soon why that is so. We are living in a time when there are so many lies that are found in our world marketed to Christians, disguised as truth. And the devil is very good at mixing truth and error and confusing God's people if we're not careful. And so as a result of that, we need to as Jesus said in John the 8th chapter in verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And the only way that I, can, that I can find to please God and that you can find to please God and that anyone in this world can ever find to please God is through Jesus Christ. That's why he said in John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And those words, though they appear so simple, 
are so profound and challenging, but they're also endearing when you lay hold on them and you make them yours. I'd invite you to turn with me, if you will, in the Old Testament to the book of Nehemiah. And we're going to spend a little time in setting the stage from a scene in the book of Nehemiah that I have always found intriguing, interesting, refreshing, and encouraging, and faith-building. Because it is a recorded account of what happens when individuals become reintroduced or when they discover again the truths of God's Word and the value of those truths for their everyday walk in life. And the Israelites were no exception. I believe, before I read from Nehemiah 8, and I want to read verses 1 through 18, it's a lengthy reading, but necessary for our study tonight. I believe that it's entirely possible for an individual to find himself or herself defending the Bible as the Word of God, and yet be guilty of not always treating the Word of God as the Word of God. Now, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about as we proceed through our study tonight. When God's people get away from loving, when they get away from reading, and when they get away from learning the truth of God's Word, those three simple points, when they get away from that process, they lose the blessings of God. They lose the joy that God has intended for His people to enjoy. And they lose the meaning and purpose to life that He has placed in His Word that is such a way that it prepares us for a life to come when this life is over with. I don't know about you. I believe I do. You're here tonight. There's other things you could have done. There's other places you could have gone. There's other things you could have done. You could have stayed home in the comfortableness of your own home, but you're here tonight. And I believe that there is this one thing that we all share in common. I want to go to heaven when this life is over with. Don't you? I don't want to miss that. I long for the day when I can stand before God by His grace and by His mercy, and He says to me, well done, Bill. You've been a good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. I long for that. Don't you? But it's not going to happen by accident. We're not going to just accidentally or back our way into heaven. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. And so we need to understand the value and the significance of that. If I want to be as Jesus talks in John chapter 15 about a fruit-bearing branch, if I want to be someone who bears the kind of fruit that God in His Word has said can be borne by those who are children of God, then I want, I've got to abide in Christ. I can't find it elsewhere. And so let me just tell you something before we do the reading. There's a lot of folks who are going to Barnes & Noble. They're going to various book houses. They're going online and they're looking to this person and this, and this source and that source. And they're looking for happiness and the meaning to life. And I'm telling you what, 
They've got it right there with them if they'll just open it and read it and study it and apply it and make it a part of their heart and their life. Am I right or am I wrong? So we need to understand that truth and apply it to our lives. Begin our reading now in Nehemiah, the 8th chapter, with verse 1. And I'll be reading from uh, the New King James translation, in case you are wondering. Join with me in the reading. When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. Now remember what they have asked him to provide. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month, a significant time in Jewish history that had not always and had not always been honored by the Jewish people. But then he read from it, that is the law, in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midnight. Now I thought about this. And I've already told you that this is one of my favorite studies. And I thought about, well now I wonder how long I ought to preach now. Well, there's a little precedent that's kind of set right there in in Nehemiah chapter 8, and, and I, I guess I could expand on that, and I could say, you know, we might be here for a while. Do not get up and leave. It won't be that long, but I promise you what, what you hear is going to encourage you, just as it encouraged the people of God so long ago. Listen carefully. From morning until midday, before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. They weren't planning their menus for the week. They weren't thinking about all of their appointments for the week. They weren't making plans to do this or do that. These folks at this particular moment in time were laser focused on the reading of the law of God. Now why? What was it about the reading of that law that caught their attention so sharply? We're going to see about that as we go along. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood, which they had made for the purpose, and beside him at his right hand we find the listing of some 13 men. A platform, now I don't know how big this platform is, but I suspect two men could stand here comfortably. Four men uncomfortably. And I would not want to be one of those uncomfortable ones. Can you imagine a platform in front of, well, how big of a crowd? How many people were here? Here's a remnant of God's people. This is a third effort to come back from the foreign land to the land of their fathers. How many people were there? Back up, would you, for just a minute, to Nehemiah, the seventh chapter, and I'll, I'll tell you. I wonder if God didn't think, you know, as I'm preserving this book and I'm inspiring Nehemiah and as this is going to be preserved down through history, 
I wonder if there's going to be people who say, well, how many people were there on that day? Well, here's the answer. Altogether, the whole assembly was 42,360. There was no rounded number. There was no, no give or take 42,000. 42,360. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you right now, God was specific as the Spirit of God guided Nehemiah in the record of this account. It is important that we understand that God has always been one who measures by detail. He had a pattern for the tabernacle. He had a pattern for the temple. He has a pattern for the church. And you and I must understand that when we do those things, just as Solomon discovered when he built the temple, that his father David was going to be denied the privilege of doing. An interesting observation is made that every stone that was quarried, when it was brought to the site, was perfectly placed because they followed the pattern. Are you hearing what I'm saying here? How important it is that we understand that when God says to do something or not do something, He means do it or don't do it. Whatever the case, I'll tell you right now, you cannot argue with God and win. You cannot win. So why try? I've wondered about that sometimes. Why Some people have, uh, for various reasons, do that. Some people just think they know so much that they can overpower God. I know, I, I know folks. I went to school with some of them. And they got so smart and they were so intelligent that they educated themselves right out of the truth. Don't let that happen to you. It's great for us to acquire knowledge. It's great for us to enhance our our intellectual capabilities. And it's great for us to study and to meditate and to reflect and to learn. But being a child of God is, just, is not just the acquisition of knowledge. It is the acquisition of knowledge applied in a person's life. That's, that's what God wants and that's what God expects. But let's pick up a little bit further. Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen. This was an affirmation of what Ezra had said was so. Amen and Amen. But let's go further while lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And again, a list of individuals who helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Mark that, because we're coming back to that. That's a very important point. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. 
For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Do you know why they wept? There's several reasons. Number one, they wept because they were hearing the law of God being read. But number two, they were weeping because they knew in their hearts they had not been following it. And that is significant for us to understand because it is such a demonstration of the mercy and the love and the grace and the long-suffering and the compassion that our God has for us. I've had people tell me through the years, talking about their own lives and, and their refusal to obey the gospel or to be restored back to a place of good fellowship with the Lord and His people, I have done such evil things, there is no way that God can forgive me. I've not been consistent in the way I live. I've not made the right choices. There is just no way. Yes way. Yes way. But it's got to be by God's way. Not my way. It's important. And we need to understand it. But let's go a little bit further in our text. Nehemiah, who was the governor, they did not mourn, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. How did they understand? They had it explained to them. Well, that's one thing. How did they understand? They had their minds and their hearts open and receptive. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you something right now. I don't know about you, but I have a prayer list. And there's a lot of people that I have on my prayer list. And there's a lot of things that I have on my prayer list. But I'm going to tell you what's right near the top of my prayer list. Every day I ask my God to help me to be teachable. Help me to have an open mind and a receptive heart. Not have it filled and, and skewed with prejudice and negative thinking and thoughts that are not right. I am not a judge. I'm not a part of a jury. I'm not the executioner. I'm the messenger of God and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is my message. Right or wrong. You see how important that is? So here Israel has been disobedient to the Lord. Become guilty of spiritual adultery. They were eventually carried off into captivity, the northern kingdom, Israel, by the, by the Assyrians, and pretty much uh, dispersed through all the known world to be no more. A number of years later, the southern kingdom, Judah, makes the same mistake. And they're carried off in waves to the Babylonian captivity era. And Jerusalem is left decimated. The walls destroyed. The temple destroyed. And when the first Jews 
were able by the ruling power and given the permission to go back and try and rebuild. It is said that when the, the old men who knew and remembered the temple, who had survived the 70 years of captivity, they had to have been very young, but they remembered the beauty and the glory and the majesty of the temple and when they saw what was going to be in his place, it says they wept. It wasn't close to what it had been. You and I need to understand. When the walls had been finished, the gates had been hung, the physical material needs of the city of Jerusalem had been met, now it was, there was focus on the spiritual needs of the people, and they had needs that needed to be addressed and acted on just as quickly as they, as they could. So we see, I want to make four quick points this evening. But I want you to think now in your mind for just a minute. Here is this, this massive crowd. 42,300 and so forth and a bunch of others. And Ezra mounts the platform. And the 13 men accompany him. And Ezra rolls out the scroll of God. He rolls out the scroll of God. Please, please try and get a visual of that. What an event that must have been. The language there, you can't, you can't miss it. It's just really hard to, to comprehend what that must have been like. But I want to tell you this evening that as exciting as that event was so many hundreds of years ago, just as exciting is the event that you and I are engaged in tonight as we sing and as we pray and as we open the book of the law and we read and we think and we talk about and we imbibe the truth of the scriptures. Are you on board? Are you listening? Are you paying close attention? You better, because we're fixing to move real fast. So I want you to think about four things as, as, as we go through this. There are four observations that I would like to make. And before I actually make those, I want to take a little side, side trip. I want you to turn back to... Ezra, the seventh chapter. I, I used to talk when I was a, a very young preacher. I mean, I was, so, I was so green behind the ears. And I look back over some of those first outlines that I hand wrote out and didn't even have a typewriter to type on, and I'm thinking, I preached that? Oh, my goodness, Bill, what were you thinking? Well, I'll tell you what. You and I need to understand that Ezra, when it came time for him to step up on that platform, he knew what he believed. And he was ready to read the law. And here's how I know that. Look at Ezra, the seventh chapter, and in verse 10. And if you are a person, in fact, I want to read verses 9 and 10. And if you're a person who marks in your Bible or makes notations or underscores or highlights, whatever, I want to strongly encourage you to underscore, highlight, or whatever, verse 10 specifically. 
But it wouldn't hurt you a bit to back up to the one verse, verse 9, the last phrase. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. Very important. That is a phrase and that is a theme that either the, the same phrase are very similar in nature. That phrase appears with regularity in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And there's a reason for that. You see, God was still, and he is today, actively involved in the salvation of men's souls. You believe that? He is. And God doesn't want any one of us to be lost. Not a one of us. And if we are lost, if on that day of judgment where I said, I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. On the other hand, I hear depart from me. I don't know you. You who have worked iniquity. To be ushered off into a, a, a hell with the devil and all his angels and all the reprobate and the wicked of this world. We really, it's hard for us to get our hands around just how ugly and bad that's going to be. But ladies and gentlemen, it's not just bad being put there. There's no leaving it. You're going to be there for eternity. So it says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Here's an individual who studied before he attempted to live a life of obedience to know what that was going to require. He studies and he practices that which he has learned. He studies and practices the law that he was reading in his own life. And before he opened his own mouth, he made sure that what he was going to say was the right thing to say. You see that? How important, how important that is. Interesting insights into the man of God. And I'll just, I made this point yesterday briefly, and I'll just make this point again in passing. You and I cannot give away to others what we do not have ourselves. So if I do not have a working faith in God's Word, someone says, well, I've got a faith, but I don't do well talking to people. Okay? I understand that. But there's an option to that. If you don't do well, first of all, you can just make yourself... A little, it's not, I don't call it a cheat sheet. If you want to call it a cheat sheet, go right ahead. Not going to hurt my feelings. But you put some notes in there in your Bible where you got them and you can go to them. Or you, if you can't do that, you get the person who needs to know and understand and learn and obey the truth to someone who can teach them. Dick Modine, I do not even know how many people. He has been instrumental in converting over the years. I do not know. I doubt he knows. I, knowing him, I doubt he kept count. He hadn't, but the Lord knows. You, you hear what I'm saying? We just got to figure out the way of how we're going to do it. But you got to do it. 
And Ezra prepared himself to do that. So in light of that, for number one, accurate handling of the Scripture starts with the reading of Scripture. Doesn't that sound so simple? The, Ezra read from the book of the law, and those who heard and listened, and verse 3 says, they were attentive to the book of the law. I want you to turn with me uh, back in the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy 31 for just a minute. Uh, because there's an interesting uh, charge that is often repeated throughout the book of Deuteronomy. But I want to notice it this evening. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, uh, verses 11 and 12. When all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. Go over one more book. Go to the 8th chapter of the book of Joshua. And Joshua, the 8th chapter, another passage I want to highlight very quickly in verse 34. Joshua 8 and verse 34. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. Why? Because they all needed it. Sometimes we, we wonder, well, how early do we start teaching our kids? Just as early as you can. Just as early as you can. Because I tell you what, there are forces out there they're going to start teaching them otherwise very quickly. We need to be paying attention, brethren. The emphasis, the focus was upon the book of God. And I, I'm just going to step out for just a minute and make a sidebar observation. When we gather like this together, it's not for somebody to get up here and entertain it's not for somebody to get up here and be a comedian. It's not for someone to come up here and, and, and somehow or another uh, salve our conscience and make us just feel really good and, and quite frankly, just entertain us. Life's too short. Death is certain. <laughs> and the judgment is coming. So I'm not going to entertain you. I'm not going to tell a bunch of funny stories. I'm going to share with you the message of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For your benefit and mine. Because you see, what I say up here, I'm going to answer for what I say up here. You listening? Think about that. That's what they, they were focused on the message. They were not, uh, they were not listening or hearing the opinions of someone. I tell you, I, I've got another little pet peeve. If I can just go ahead and this is a freebie. I mean, it's, this is just a pet peeve of mine. We're living in a time when I hear preachers 
paraphrase a passage and they call it their own version. Well, this is Bill. I'm, I'm just going to share with you Bill's version of this passage of Scripture. I didn't come to hear Bill's version of a passage of Scripture. I came to hear God's book. Now, I, you might say, well, now you might be nitpicking. Just no, I am not nitpicking. Because I'll tell you right now, on the Day of Judgment, it's going to be what's in this book that I'm going to be judged by. It's not going to be by the opinions of men, the think-sos of men, the paraphrases of men, the Bible paraphrased versions of men. Jesus says in John 12 and 48, He that rejects me and receives not my words hath one that judges him, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. That's the standard. So you've got to read, and I'll just make another observation before we move to point number two, and that is I believe there needs to be more public reading uh, of God's word. I think we need to hear the word of God being read. I was so impressed. It moved me yesterday morning in the in the worship hour when the scripture reading was announced and when it was about to be read that you stood up. I, I'm not saying we have to stand up, but that was a sign. That was a that was a that showed reverence and respect for the reading of the law of God. And that's what these folks did in Nehemiah, the eighth chapter. Handling the word of God accurately allows the scriptures to become the basis of our thoughts and of our lives because if we, if we rely on our emotions or our think-sos or our opinions, our emotions, our think-sos, and our opinions can be faulty. Proverbs 14 and 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, and the end thereof is the way of death. I can be wrong. So can you. So we've got to learn. Proper handling of the Word of God requires the reading of God's law. Number two, look at verse 5 of Nehemiah chapter 8. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They were attentive to the book. Accurate handling of the scriptures includes having respect for the scriptures. When Ezra opened the, the, the scroll, the book of the law, in their presence, they stood up. They realized this was the word of God. I, 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 I have in my mind visions and pictures of that and imagery that is just, um, it's hard to describe. I would really like to have seen that. They showed reverence and they lifted up their hands and characteristically it would have been palms up to receive a blessing from God. Faces down out of humility. Our God knows our hearts and he knows what is right and what is wrong in our hearts and in our lives. And we need to understand that when God's word is read, it is just that. 
and I need to listen to what is being read with all of my heart, soul, strength, and mind. Not in any way distracted. You ever try and talk to somebody? Uh, kids have this problem sometimes with their parents. And I know parents think they don't make mistakes. And it's the kids that make all the mistakes. Al's over here saying, oh, we don't make mistakes. Al knows we do. But kids, I've, talked, I've had the opportunity for a long, long time to talk to a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of kids. And you know one of the things they would talk to me about that was a problem for them back home? I talk to my father or I talk to my mother and it's like they're looking right through me and they're not hearing a word I said. And the problem was not always that they were looking through them and not hearing a word they said. Sometimes they did. But a lot of times they didn't. And you know why? Because their parent was thinking about something else. And kids know that. They know. They can tell. And these people... There wasn't anything else. They weren't thinking about this or that. Or They were focused completely and attentive and respectful to the reading of the law of God. They wanted to hear every word of it. They didn't want to miss any of it. And you and I should hunger and thirst, as Jesus says in Matthew 5 and 6, after righteousness with the assurance from God that we will be filled. The older I get, the more I see, I don't know. And the older I get, the more I want to learn what I don't know yet. My, I know I've got more days behind me than I have in front of me. I know that. But I want to live all of those days every day spending time to learn and to apply and appreciate and value the truthfulness of the law of God. Do you? Do you want to do that? I pray you do. By your presence here tonight, it's indicative that that's what you're considering. I'll tell you something. There's something else that gives us a, a little more insight about all this because in number three, verse eight, accurately handling of the scriptures means that truth is explained so that we can understand. Verse 8 is a profound passage of Scripture. So they read, in fact, verse 7, these men helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. We can't miss that point. They wanted to make sure that everyone not only heard, but that they understood and they got the meaning of what was being said. What good was the reading of the law if they didn't understand what that was? And brethren, I'm going to tell you what. There's sometimes we, have, we find ourselves meeting with people, whether it's at work, neighbors, the community, whatever it might be, and sometimes they really don't have any knowledge, no working knowledge whatsoever of the Scriptures. And you're not going to force feed them in three or four nights of study to where they say, oh, yeah, I, I, I get all that. Now, I know there's some people really intelligent. But I kind of question three or four nights, you're going to grab 
message of the gospel and understand here's what you need to do. Now, what am I saying? Am I saying someone shouldn't hear the gospel and obey the gospel if they're here tonight? No. I'm just saying it's going to require patience, ladies and gentlemen, for us to teach our, the folks around us. It takes patience to be a father and a mother, doesn't it? doesn't take quite so much patience to be a grandfather or grandmother. You just kind of spoil them and let them have their way a little bit, and then if they just get a little bit too rowdy, then you have to corral them a little bit and say, now, Pop Bear doesn't like that. That's not a good thing to do. Pop Bear says, don't do that. And usually they'll say, oh, Papa Bear, I love you. And after I've melted down into the floor, then I try and recompose myself and, and say, wait a minute, I know what you're doing. Ladies and gentlemen, handling of the scriptures requires that it be explained. I, I think one of the clearest examples of what happened in Nehemiah happened over in the New Testament in the book of Acts. I want you to turn very quickly to Acts, the 17th chapter, because here we find Paul in Thessalonica and Luke giving us the account of the events and what, what was taking place. Verse 2, Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, Acts 17, and for three Sabbaths. Now, there are, there's, there's four words I want you to underline. Now, I'm reading from the New King James, so your King James or New American might read just a little different, but this is, it's the same sentiment. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Reasoned, it means there's a, there's a dialogue with questions and answers. There's give and take to that. Explain carries with it the opening of the scriptures to them. You explain things. You open up the word so people can understand it. Proved. You put alongside, uh, alleging the truth, uh, putting alongside evidence of what you believe and why you believe it. And then announcing, <laughs> preaching the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ezra's personal commitment to study and then to practicing of what he had learned in his own life enabled him to teach others. I want to take a sidetrack for just a second. I told you a while ago I talked with a lot of older preachers and, and I would ask them early on in life, I would say, who was your, who was your favorite preacher? Who would you learn the most from? And it was always an interesting question to pose and I always liked the way they would, generally they would tilt their head, but usually they came out with an answer pretty quickly. It was Floyd Wallace Jr. Probably Nine out of ten would say that. And I said, well, what was it about his preaching that uh, encouraged you so much? And here's the way they described it. And I'll just, I'll just say, tell you this is the way they described it to me. They said, it's like you're going down the river in a boat. And you come to a little tributary and, and 
he takes you down that little tributary and he explains some things down that tributary and then he backs the boat back up. Goes back down the river a little bit and goes down another tributary. Backs up and goes on down and when you get finished, you've learned what the river and what all those tributaries are all about. And guess what? <laughs> this will get you. This was two or two and a half hours later. I think I'm gonna go down the river for a little while tonight. You want to go down a few tributaries with me? Tell you, as parents, we need to be explaining God's Word to our children and to our grandchildren. As husbands and wives, we need to be encouraging and strengthening one another in our faith and in one another's faith. When it comes to our co-workers, we need to look for opportunities. We have a young man down, down in, in Dallas who is a chef. He's a big old boy. And uh, he got hair way up high. And he's been a chef for 20 years. And so he gave a little talk a few weeks ago, and this is the thing he said. My pulpit is my grill. I can talk to the people that are helping me cook about the Bible and about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I'd like to get up and preach, but I'm too nervous to preach. So I just teach and preach from my grill. Well, I don't know if it's a grill. I don't know if it's over the fence. I don't know if it's on the assembly line. I don't know if it's across the office. Wherever it is, you need to find where they are and you need to go to them and you need to try and help them understand the way that leads to eternal life. And ladies and gentlemen, every single one of us in this audience can do that if we want to. The question is, do we want to? My mother wanted me to play the piano so bad when I was a kid. She really did, and she said, Billy, I want you to learn it. I said, mother, pianos are for sissies. I'm not gonna, I, 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 I played sports, I played outside. I played football, I played baseball. I tried basketball, Dick, but it didn't work. Track was not in the picture because Fairchilds are not notoriously very good at running. So that's kind of the way that was. She said, I want you. And I said, I'm gonna, she said, I'm going to lease a piano. And I'm going to hire a teacher. And I said, I'm not going to take the piano. Well, she ended up getting it later on for my sister. Here I am, 71 years old. I'd like to play the piano. I really would like to play the piano. And so you're probably thinking, well, Bill, why don't you? Well, I'll tell you. I really don't want to learn how to play the piano. Because if I really wanted to learn how to the piano, I'd take lessons and I'd learn how to play the piano. And if I really want to know how to share the truth of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people, then I'm going to learn how to do that. And that takes trial and error, but it takes the effort. You've got to try. You've got to keep on trying. And so finally, the last thing of accurately handling the scriptures is that which results in obedience to the scriptures. Accurately handling the scriptures will result in specific personal acts of obedience. 
In Nehemiah 8, verses 9 to 18, the people were so overwhelmed, they wept. The leader said, no, don't weep and don't grieve. Celebrate. We found the joy. We've rediscovered the book. We've, we're, re, we're being reintroduced to God's law. We've left it alone. We've lost it for a long time. Let's, let's, let's do it again. And so I'm going to say to you this evening, now, now this, I'm not offering an invitation yet, so don't get your songbook. But if you're here and you're a child of God, you've not been living like you should, and you're not faithful like you ought to be, and you're not doing things you need to do, what's wrong with changing that tonight? Do you want to change it? I didn't want to learn how to play the piano. Do you want to get right with God? Are you here and you're not a child of God and you know, you've heard lessons maybe. You've heard what God's Word has to say. And you, you've toyed with it, you've studied it, you've thought about those kinds of things. Do you really want to have the forgiveness of your sins and the hope of eternal life? Do you really? Or you just, do you want to play the piano, but you really don't want to play the piano? The question is yours. I can't answer that question for you. And you know why? I'm really glad I can't answer that, because here's why. If you will get to the point where you do answer that question, the joy is unspeakable. The feeling is beyond description. To have the burden of sin lifted off of my shoulders and my heart and my life. And to know that now I can have the hope of eternal life and that Jesus Christ is my Savior and my King. That's what it's all about. They heard what God said and they did it. Can it be said of us that we delight in God's commands and, and in His Word? I tell you because the Word of God tells you when we obey the Lord and serve Him because we rejoice in Him and in His Word, then our service will be a delight. We'll want to be with God's people. We'll never feel like we have to be there. We want to be there. I, I, I'll tell you right now, I've, I don't want to belabor the point. But I've, I, I've, I've been really sick for a long time. And on numerous occasions, I, I was on the brink of death. They didn't give me, they weren't giving me much hope. And I tell you, I missed more services and being with God's people than I ever dreamed could take place. And I wept, and I wept, and I wept. Now, the beauty of living in our age and technology is that they live stream. And so I could watch an entire worship service from beginning 
to end. And that was encouraging. <laughs> but it wasn't like being there. I listened to Bible classes from time to time. They weren't always live streamed. Wasn't like being there. To be with the Lord's people, to sing and to pray and to study and do all the things that God has told us to do. John says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. He made us. We read in Psalms 103 yesterday. He knows what's best for us. Let's listen to Him. Let's do what He says. Let's be what He wants us to be. So question in closing then is how are you handling the Scriptures? I want to ask you a couple questions. I told you yesterday I like to ask questions. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions right now. And I'm going to get just downright personal. So if you don't mind and whether you mind or not, I'm going to ask you anyway. I'm not being rude. But I'm going to ask. How much thought time do you devote to God's Word? Really? How much thought time? Honestly. Do you have the proper regard and respect for God's Word to really believe that what we have preserved for us is the inspired, breathed out word, words of God? Do you believe that? I'm sure we've all thought about this at different times in our lives. Uh, it's still astonishing to me that God has communicated to us as He has. He's given us as our Creator not merely our lives, but He has given us the gift of language. And then He spoke to us. And we can understand. I do not believe that we have to arrive at a technical understanding of biblical inspiration in order to be awed by the truth of having such wonderful documents in our possession. I do believe, because the Bible tells me so, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10, 17. I do believe, because the Bible tells me so, that we will be judged on the last day by the very words that I hold before you this night. Are you ready for that day? Are you in this audience and you're in some way subject to the Lord's invitation? How are you handling the scriptures? I pray you will find the strength to handle them accurately as we have talked about. Thank you so much for listening so carefully and kindly and patiently to the lesson tonight. I did think about preaching for two hours but I only thought about it for just a second. First place, I don't want to take advantage of you. Second place, I'm not sure my legs will hold me up for another hour. But I hope I've said enough to you tonight to help stoke the fire. The fire in your bones. To want to do better, to learn more, to be better, to be the kind of child of God who loves him, who serves him, who's loyal and who's dedicated and who longs for the day when you can hear said, well done, my good and faithful servant.
If you're here tonight and you're in any way subject to the Lord's invitation, we urge you to come while we stand. While we stand.